Hello, everybody, and welcome to Total Italian Football Serie A podcast, the main one on a Sunday night as we record. I'm Ian Burns. I'm hosting in place of Connor, who is busy. Um, I'm joined by Kev. How are you, Kev? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm not busy. Uh, I think I have for the last two pods, so uh, I think I'm back for the main ones. I think I've done a Champions League, haven't I? But, uh... He's back, everyone. And uh, Vito's also here. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Ewan. Um, I thought I was going to have to bail and be busy, but uh, the tested, uh, uh, was it hoodoo? I don't think it worked. So, fortunately, I wasn't busy for this. <laughs> and um, a special mention to a dog that's in Vito's house, which has, has got incredible ability of knowing when people are about to either record a podcast or speak because it hadn't barked. And then the second Vito opened his mouth there, I heard it in the background. So if you hear any little squeals, that's all it is. We, we, we can't control animals. Um, match day 30. We've had we've done 30 of them. This one's not quite finished as we speak, but it almost is. That's mad. We're we're, we're in the run now. We're certainly in it. Um, Friday night started off. Cremonese won. Empoli nil. Empoli nil. That's Cremonese's third win of the season now. They're going mad. Um, Spezia nil. Lazio three. That was also Friday. And then Saturday, Bologna won. Milan won. Napoli nil. Verona nil. Inter nil. Monza won. <laughs> so not a successful Saturday if you support one of the bigger teams in the league. Um, Sunday, Lecce won, Samp won, Torino won, Salernitana won, Sassuolo won, <laughs> Juve nil, and Roma three, Udinese nil. And on Monday, we've got Fiorentina versus Atalanta, which is a pretty good Monday night game as they go, actually. Um, you notice a little trend there that I was saying the, the word one or number one quite a lot, um, <laughs> because only if you're a Roman club are you allowed to score more than one goal in a game this weekend. Lazio and Roma both scored three times. Everyone else scored none or one. It, t- to level with you, top of the show, it's not been a thrilling <laughs> weekend of action. Um, it has been in terms of some, obviously, like as you would have heard there, some big teams. You say the three biggest clubs in the country have all dropped points. Um, but there's not been any four threes or any particular humdingers. I'm trying to decide where I want to start. It's not obvious. I think I might start with Milan, I've decided, largely randomly, <laughs> because all of the big teams are rubbish and they're all just chucking points away, so you get a free choice of who you want to talk about. Um, they drew 1-1 away at Bologna on the preview with Connor. Um, I'm going to sort of unashamedly pat my back here. I was saying that I think Bologna will start quick and take the lead. I didn't think it would happen in about 32 seconds or whatever it was. <laughs> and um, and uh, I think it was, uh, was it Sansone who gave them the lead. Um, and then Tommaso Pabega scored a really, really nice goal, which for, for, for a player who's fallen out of favour at Milan to step in what was a heavily rotated team, bear in mind they've got Champions League to think about, um, and score a goal like that was very impressive Vito, you were covering this on TotalHypenItalianFootball.com. Did you think, was this the right result? Were Milan worth the point or should they have had more from this? I think it was a good result for them and the right one simply because they just made too many changes and even though there were spells where they had some decent possession, they didn't really pose much of a threat for... Uh, Bologna, so the defence there, they had Lukomi there at the back who had a good game and the rest of the defence played well. Posh defensively was decent, but going forward he was excellent. He was the one that supplied the low cross for Nicola Samsoni to open scoring. But uh, I think, you know, when you take out so many regular players, a team like Milan just looked like they didn't have the same potent threat going forward. And... uh, uh, that Pobega goal was was a delightful strike, and overall, I still think that uh, they didn't really show enough to win. And uh, based on those selections, it looked clear that Pioli's really putting his eggs into the Champions League basket. Oh, look, I I can agree with Vito that it was a sort of a fair result for the the sort of team selection that Pioli went with, but I can't imagine that. Any Milan fan, even the ones I've seen 
I saw somebody put it on Twitter. It was a masterclass from Pioli, you know, resting these players and coming away from Bologna. And I know Bologna, Bologna have been in good form. Um, you know, so coming away with a point with the Champions League and, you know, resting your players. But they are so inconsistent at the moment that you don't expect them to then, you know, even if they get knocked out midweek to to win sort of six of their last eight games and, you know, comfortably qualify for Champions League football. Because the way the two Roman clubs are going at the moment, you look at sort of Inter and Milan, it's because Atalanta have, have sort of dropped off a little bit later and Juve have just lost their last couple. It's going to be one of those two that are drop out. And I, I, I was a bit shocked by Pioli rotating so much. I thought there'd be, you know, a little bit, but... Um, I'd be fuming as a, a Milan fan if your if your hopes are to get into the Champions League, and they they need it arguably more than um, you know, say English sides to get to get the revenues from Champions League. But yeah, it was it was it was a strange one. I thought you know, and I wrote the preview for this on Total uh, Italian Football dot com, and kind of just expected this out of them and Napoli not to be the team that rotated. But I I, I think this could be. This could be one of those where they don't make Champions League and then they'll really ruin what they did. Yeah, it's it's a very delicate situation. So for, for anyone who doesn't know the lineup that he started with away at Bologna, uh, Mike Magnan kept his place. So that there, there there were whispers that he would <laughs> he might drop out as well, which sounds mad. Um, and then also he didn't did uh, he didn't do that. Um, you had Florenzia right back. He's obviously been injured most of the season. Um, Kalulu and Tiao in the middle, and um, Foda Balotore was on the left, who has kind of disappeared for a lot of the season. He's been out of favour. He had a midfield two of Astavranks and Tomaso Pabega, who at one very brief point, slightly earlier in this calendar year, seemed to be almost behind Bakayoko in the, in the pecking order, which is mad. So there was a brief period where Bakayoko was coming off the bench and they weren't. Um, Salamak is on the right wing. Uh, Charles de Catalara was in the middle. He got a very rare start. Rebic on the left, who's been in and out throughout the season. And Origi up front, who obviously has is, is, is just done nothing for Milan. Um, like there's, that is quite the rotation. There's, there's only two players that you'd say definitely usually start, which are Manian and Kalula. And there's a couple that do occasionally. You know, Salamak is... Florenzi would be in that bracket had he not been injured for most of the season. Um, but like the the balance of it is odd because you you can think okay yeah we'll put all our eggs in the Champions League basket but it's like is this is this is maybe the sort of thing that you can only say if you're not a Milan fan because it seems mad to like talk yourself out of trying to win the Champions League when you're in the position that they're in within the tournament but. Ultimately, if they can get to the final, I know the path to the final looks quite good. If they can get to the final, they're going to play, but it's going to be Real Madrid or City almost definitely. And that's very daunting. Yes, it's a one-off game of football. Anything can happen, but that is very daunting. And like he really is at risk of just not getting into the Champions League next season for the sake of basically getting to a final. Then you're looking at obviously revenues are the benefits that come with that. They're going to earn way more money for doing that. But in a sporting sense, it might—it's quite short term, isn't it? They seem to have lost sight of their chances of winning the competition compared to their chances of getting to the final. Because if you look at those two sides in the Champions League draw, you've got four sides. If you take Benfica over the last couple of weeks, that are just have been inconsistent over the last month. You know, Napoli have sort of—they've they've probably just—they're struggling with the, just knowing that they're going to win the league. And then you look at the other side, you've got City fighting for a title, Madrid chasing Barcelona, Munich are in a tight um, title, title race. And it, and it's, you know, Chelsea probably the only one on that side that are completely woeful. And it, it does feel like they've, they're, they're overselling the benefits of getting to the final um, as opposed to just, just get, making sure that Champions League, you've just got to, I don't say, you know, it's not that you've got to sort of discount how, how you do in a final because it is a one-off game, but arguably if I'm a coach you know it's 60 I'm sort of 60 40 that I'm going that Champions League that top four place for an Italian club is more important than how they you know, get into the final and how they're going to do that that's the thing obviously I don't have the 
exact figures of what they'll make for getting to the final stuff because it is all relative to the the market pool and all that sort of stuff and gate receipts yada yada um but it's all well and good if you get to the final and lose it that's still a great achievement to have got there and you will get all the money that comes with that but it might not be worth it financially to not be in it the next year well they say Um, half half the revenue for europa league as opposed champions league if you were to go to the same point, so next year, if Milan were to get to the, you know, the Champions League quarterfinals again, they'd earn half if they get to, say, the quarterfinals of the Europa League and go out next year. You know, And it's, you're talking about 50 million quid, I think, or probably yeah. euros. It's not a nice one. The, you know, the only benefits are, obviously, he's going to have a much fresher squad um, for that second leg against Napoli. Um Speaking of, we'll go there next, actually, given that that naturally feeds. They drew nil-nil with Elas Verona, which is, I mean, there's no two ways around it. That's not a good result. But if we're going to go back into lineups, uh, Merritt kept his place. Di Lorenzo, Kim obviously is suspended, so he was always going to play. Um, Rachmani dropped out for Juan Jesus. Um, and Oliveira was at left-back instead of Mario Rui. Onguisa, same story as Kim, is suspended for Champions League, so he was always going to start. Diego Demer came in. Um, Elmas played in the midfield three as well. And then Politano, Raspadori and Lozano. So it's not quite as heavily rotated as Pioli, partly because of those suspensions, like I say. But, you know, Di Lorenzo, Elmas at this point is kind of in that bracket with what with injuries. Uh, Politano, Raspadori, Lozano, they're, they're all players that could feasibly be starting against Milan, injury depending. Um but they still couldn't get the job done. Kev, you covered this one, and you really enjoyed yourself, didn't you? Uh, it was it was it was easily up there, top five worst games I've seen this season. Partly oh. because of circumstance, I think, because you've got those players coming in, and and literally nothing happened for like the first seventy five minutes. <laughs> right, uh, next game. Well, no, first half. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you why. But you know, first half, Napoli didn't have uh, a shot on target. And uh, but Verona also again this is sort of where the comparison with Milan's is probably a little unfair because Milan were playing a side at home Bologna in good form seeing that they could you know certainly after seeing the starting eleven realizing that they've got a scalp that they could take whereas Verona even with seeing the starting eleven Napoli put out were content to sit and defend deep and you could fully understand that and then Osman comes on with 75 minutes, which was which was easily sort of the, the biggest moment for the Napoli fans because they, they want him there on, on Wednesday. He smashes the bar from the edge of the box with a wonderful volley and you think something might actually happen. And then, um, sorry, the name of the Verona player eludes me, but when they were sort of pressing for those last 15 minutes, then Verona had this sort of straight run from the halfway line all the way through on goal. It was Lasagna, wasn't it, I think? For Verona? Yeah. Okay. No, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was Lasagna. Because I would have re- I remembered that anyway. But the, the 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 person that ran through on goal almost tried to to dink the ball over the goalkeeper, uh, Merritt, rather than just sort of side foot the ball past him because he had nobody on him. And in the in the end, he just ended up sort of dragging the shot to the you know oh, well well remember. wide of goal. And it was literally yeah. the ninety 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 first ninety second. Um, Go on, Vito. You you tell us who it was. <laughs> oh, Ngonje. Ngonje. So there you go. But that that was literally all that happened. But I've obviously wrote the match report largely on the fact that it, while it was nice to see Osman back, there were concerns that even those slight tweaks to the attack, it it kind of shows how the depth isn't there for for Napoli at the moment. They just didn't create anything, and they didn't look like they knew what each other should be doing. Um, you know, one main positive could be that Deme could potentially slot in in like, I'm now visualising sort of still being one goal behind against Milan on Tuesday night and just needing to throw the kitchen sink at Milan. If you've got Lobotka and you've got Deme sitting there, you probably just go completely like Cavaschelia, Osserman, uh Raspadori and Lozano, whoever else you want to put on that right side. And I could see that happening because he had a really good game actually, Deme, but there was not a lot to do. Yeah, I think I actually I agree with that uh, prediction that uh, Kev has made because uh, uh, I can't see it working with a four-three-three if Spalletti's going to be playing Lobotka with 
Ndombele and Zielinski. Switching to a 4-2-3-1 would be better because Lobotka and Demme can give that pro- uh, protection and that might allow Zielinski to play further forward whilst also having Ozzyman fit enough to be a reference point. And then if the early Champions League games this season are anything to go by... You know, that allowed either Giovanni Simeone or Giacomo Raspadori to come on and they were scoring some of the goals in the group stage. So, yeah, to have uh, Ozzyman back would be great. And Raspadori's made a couple cameos in the last few weeks. But if he can rediscover that scoring touch too, I think that's where Napoli might have a chance against Milan in the Champions League. I think it will be interesting. It is going to depend on how close it is at the end. But you could even see with Mario Rui at left-back, because Di Lorenzo gets so far forward, if it is late and you've got the home crowd sort of behind Napoli, you could almost see him playing something what would resemble maybe a 3-2 and then everybody else just, you know, just in attack. And it's, you know, allowing that whip from uh, Di Lorenzo on the right. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Tuesday night. Uh, I'll say that assuming that somebody else is going to be doing the match report because I know we put in for <laughs> Alistair to be in uh, Naples. So uh, I'd rather watch it as uh, I'd rather watch it without the laptop. Um, but you know what will be will be. Um, I was thinking to myself during this game. Like I said, I only caught a bit of it, but um, when I saw the lineups, I was kind of thinking that there's going to be some poor sods in the crowd who have travel to Naples to see Napoli. Maybe after the first few weeks of the season, they might have thought, oh, do you know what? I wouldn't mind a trip to Naples to go and see this this team. And purely by circumstance of the season, <laughs> they'll have ended up watching number one, a rubbish game, but also a situation where you've got Ozimin, Kabaratskelia, Zielinski, Lobotka, like some of the, the most important players in this really good team not starting and, you know, coming on later in the game and it just being basically an occasion that Napoli as a team don't want to even be at because of the way the Champions League has fallen, that, you know, all of their brains would have been on that game, on the Milan game that it showed. And I think that there must be some people from other countries who travel to Naples to, to watch this game and they've just unfortunately landed on this one. Yeah. I think on the flip side of that, though, they could have turned out a few weeks back when they lost to Lazio and they just didn't perform. Yeah. Because would that, I, that I nearly still used, be a better watch, though? Well, I don't know, you know, because I, I decided then not to use Milan as an example because actually that probably was a good watch. But <laughs> that, that Lazio yeah. game where you sort of go to maybe watch um, a bit like our own dear Connor went to Paris Saint-Germain to see Messi in the flesh and got to see them play <laughs> absolutely awful against Lyon. I think sometimes that's worse than getting there um, and sort of just, you know, seeing the second string roll out. But yeah, who knows? Personal yeah, like preference, I suppose. Yeah, very much so. Um, where shall we go? Let's have a bit of Inter, shall we? Because they lost. <laughs> I again. gave you a segue to Lazio there and you, you go to Inter, but you, you, know, you go for it. <laughs> Lazio won. <laughs> we will talk about them, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the, the big people that have lost first. Um, Inter nil, Monza won. It's undoubtedly funny if you're not of an Inter persuasion. Um they last won in the league on the 5th of March against Lecce. Um, they've played five league games since then. Um, like that, It's bad. I, they, 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 were, they were really good against Benfica. Not like, not insanely good or anything like that, but it was a, it was a very good performance and a deserved scoreline. And it's one that has you know, given them a very, very good chance of being in Champions League semi-final and that is superb. But much like Milan, but arguably in a more extreme way, they they just can't seem to carry any of that form into the league at all. Um, also, <laughs> the the goal for Monza was scored by Luca Calderola, who is a Inter youth player, because that sort of thing just happens to Inter all the time. Um, they're really in a bit of trouble as far as the league table is concerned, because they are fifth. Um, and they're on 51 points. So they're two off of Milan, who were fourth. But they're, they're now five off of Roma. So it's it, it's it's starting to look, you know, this can all change quickly, but it's starting to look like they're fighting for that fourth place rather than anything much higher. Um, like I say, crap changes all the time really fast in the, in the Champions League race. But right now it does look a bit daunting. If 
do, do you view them as data do you view them as being a bit of an outsider possibly at this stage or is it slightly too early to tell an outsider in uh, which sense just to to get into the top four out of the ones that are fighting for it you know i do think that the chances of qualifying for the champions league through the top four are looking quite slim the way they've played in the league and more than anything just how they've been in the final third with the inability to put their chances away they have been very disappointing and they've looked rudderless if you like so it seems that you know if they're trying to reach the champions league for next season just by accumulating points in the league i think they're in a bit of trouble their form in the champions league is so different though that uh <laughs> Part of me wouldn't be surprised if they somehow managed to go on and win it. I don't think they could, but, you know, with these cup competitions on any given day, uh, it shows that the Nerazzurri this season have played, you know, out of their skin and, uh, you know, above the standards that uh, anything could be possible. And just in a hypothetical situation, if they had to reach the final and play Real Madrid, I can see them sort of really sitting back, defending, and really clogging up the spaces for Benzema, Modric, and all the other stars from playing. Whereas I think most other teams will try and face Real Madrid toe-to-toe. So, yeah, maybe the only way they'll make the Champions League Inter would be by actually winning the thing, which is probably quite slim, but the league form suggests that top four qualifications not that realistic either. Kev, that this was their eleventh Serie A defeat of the season. Like that, that's amazing. Like they, if you look at the, the teams, so Napoli have lost three, Lazio five, Roma eight. That's a problem. Milan seven, Inter eleven, Atalanta nine, Juve seven, Bologna, Fiorentina on ten. You, you have to get to Sassuolo before someone has lost more games in Serie A this season. They've lost twelve, but then. Udinese have only lost nine. There's there's lots of teams much lower than Inter in the table who have lost less games than them. Um, and they've only drawn three. So, Vito, I'll come back to you, actually. Um, that seems to be part of the problem, is that they, they seem to have lost the ability to, like, grab draws or just... I, I don't know how you sort of quantify that, but it seems weird to say that they should be drawing more games. But, like... Surely last season, they, they must have been more of these situations in these games that they've been losing where they managed to grab a point. Yeah, it seemed to be the case that, you know, and this is not just with Inter, but just the big teams in general, even when they play poorly, that uh, they would still do enough to win games or at least scrape through the draw. Now it's, uh, it's a case that, you know, either just mentally... They lack that focus or whether it's just down to some of the individuals that are on the park, they're just really not up to scratch because I feel this year Inzaghi's really having to turn to those so-called, you know, uh, reserve options, if you like, and uh, try to get more game time out of them, but they're not really stepping up. So I think that also is a part of the problem too. Do you think the um, the fact that Inzaghi's futures, I was going to say uncertain, but actually I don't think he's going to be there uh, next season. And you, I kind of put this this fourth place now because I think the the two Roman clubs are going to continue picking up enough points. That one place is between the two Milanese clubs and Juventus, and Pioli looks like he's got you know a little bit of job security there. Allegri looks like he's got a bit of job security there. Whereas Inter, it's almost in the league, you've got players that don't know what the financial situation is, who's going to be bought and sold. And when they go into Europe, there's a little bit of personal, personal sort of, um, you know, pride or, you know, there's a trophy, there's a medal there on, on you know, quite a, quite a, that could probably help them get quite a decent move if they were to go and, you know, do one of these, you know, the years when you've had Chelsea win it in 2012 and, you know, a real, a real rare, rare winner. Um, against the odds win the Champions League. And it just feels like that's that, that sort of instability throughout the club is, is causing Inter a bit of problems. Yeah, I think if you're one of the better 
into players in this squad, if you're Barella, Bastoni, Lautaro, anyone like that, if if it's not even slightly in your mind of, all right, things aren't going well here, but I need to perform, like, you know, first and foremost for the team, but you, you have to be thinking about your own personal future because it, it's quite clear that they're not going to, they're not going to bring in players better than you, really. It just doesn't look like that's going to happen from a financial standpoint. Um, so I think you'd have to be really daft not to be basically doing, as you say, they kept putting on a big display like like Barella did against Benfica and just continually keeping that sort of bubbling interest that has been there for those players for a long time and getting somebody to, to act on it, basically. Yeah, and some of those other players, or the ones that you say sort of their mid-level players that have probably got two years or so left on their contract, they're probably thinking, well, they can't afford to let me go because they know I'm a sort of a solid six out of ten every week. But actually, then maybe they're playing at a sort of four out of ten level because they've not got that fear of, oh, there's 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 money, there's there's investment, and and if I'm not, you know, if I'm not pulling my pulling my finger out, then they're gonna go and get somebody else in. And you know, I don't want to say the of the the youth coming up behind them is because sometimes that gives you a little bit of a push if you see sort of, but there doesn't seem to be many really young sort of talents pushing any of those first teamers to to perform a little better. No, and I think, like I say, those sorts of players, I don't think I'll pick any out specifically because that seems a bit harsh, but, you know, to, to insinuate that specific individuals aren't trying. But um, but there, there will be players who are under, who are aware of the fact that, you know, I might not be brilliant, but it's it's still going to cost you 20 million to replace me or something because of the just the way the market is, just to get a kind of standard player. Um costs a lot of money just on the primavera table here inters under 19s are 11th out of 18 so you know that it's not always a simple there might be good individuals in the team but it doesn't suggest that there's loads <laughs> you know um lecce however are flying um and as vito has just pointed out to us they a lot of inters best young players are are in the Netherlands. A lot of them are. I think. I think it's, is it Volendam? They've got a Inter. have got a link with. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's and, it. Because they're there to sort of get re, you know increase their resale value. So actually, they're not in and around the first team. So they're not. They're not. They're not pushing into. They're doing. They're doing something else for Inter. They're trying to generate them some income maybe, and they're probably bringing in loan fees or at least they're taking them off the wage bill. Um, but actually, there is there is a. A reason why you would potentially keep them around to sort of bring them through to the first team because then also if you're working with a smaller group of players some of these players you know it's not they're not consciously performing under their level because they know they've got the comfort of a couple of years you know still on their contract but they're just tired you know with 30 games in into probably what played 50 plus with cup and europe and um you know you're gonna you're gonna flag a little yeah, I mean, I suppose they've they've kind of exhibited the, the two routes you can take with these youngsters because you, you can either, you know, they can become good players in your team if you take, say, uh, Federico De Marco. Obviously, he kind of went the long way around about it um, to finally be at a point where he's an important player for Inter. But you could also look, they, they sold uh, Cesare Casade, didn't they, last season to Chelsea for somewhere around 15 million euro or whatever it's one of them i think it might have been eight million up front and then there'll be like a decent another eight on top or something um which was one of them it's a bit like okay that's a lot of money for a player that's never played in the first team which seems like a good deal but also you are just getting rid of a player that could feasibly be very important for you that you don't have to buy in the future um they're probably going to end up doing some similar deals this summer because they, they, they will need to raise money from player sales. And ideally, you do it with players that you don't need to directly replace. Um, but hey, let's see what they do. Quickly go to Juve. There's a detail about Juve that is relevant to everyone else we've talked about. They lost 1-0 away at Sassuolo. Um, Connor did the report on Total Hyphen Sonning Football for this one. And... What was quite odd about this is that it, it's not a case of like Juve had all the ball and it was a bit of a smash and grab from Sassuolo. They, Sassuolo were actually good. <laughs> they were good in this game and pretty worthy of their of their win as well. Um, the reason this game 
not so much this result, but Juve in general is of interest in this coming week is that the announcement's going to be made for whether they get their points back or not. Um, April 19 at 2.30 local time is apparently when the hearing is set. I don't know when the news will actually appear, but that's when the hearing is set. Um, and if if they get those points back, they they shoot up to 59, which puts them third. And they'd be two points off of Lazio and three ahead of Roma. So it, it dumps Milan back out and it puts Inter even further away again. And that just massively shakes everything up, doesn't it? Because, Vito, can you, can you envisage a situation where both Milan teams don't don't get into the Champions League? I think it's a great possibility on the assumption that Juve do get their points back given how poorly they've played in the second half of the season, especially Inter, uh, I I don't think they're able to yeah, both get in there because neither side's really ge- generated enough momentum to earn a Champions League spot. As we know, Napoli's well clear on top. Lazio, especially now that they're out of the Conference League, can focus on Serie A and they look like they're going to wrap up that second place. You'll be on if they do get the 15 points back, we'll probably be in that top four. So really it'd be the Milanese clubs fighting it out with Roma for one extra spot in the Champions League. And uh, I think if uh, Roma can keep uh, grinding out results, they seem to have that balance between Europe and domestic football right. So I think they'll fancy their chances. So I'll put up earlier this week about um, Roma and Lazio and Salernitana also being investigated into this sort of capital gains. And considering this is also sort of a financial, uh, you know, tax fraud issue or fraud issue, um, financial fraud issue is the term I was looking for. I I was almost convincing myself that they give Juve their points back and just almost because it's like, okay, there's like, there's so many clubs that seem to have been... Um, massaging their accounts to 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 do you know to to do this and actually from a finance uh, sorry from a sporting perspective it might actually be really difficult to say okay we're giving Juve 15 points because they massage their figures to show an extra 100 million pounds on their accounts but then can you actually transfer that if if Roma are found to you know, be fifty million pounds. Can you then say that's a seven million, you know, seven point deduction and stuff? And do they then just say, okay, everybody seems to have been getting up to this. We're going to leave it to the financial authorities to do their penalties their end, and actually just say there's too many, there's too many clubs involved that are, because Juve have sent a lot of players out to a lot of the clubs that are involved in this investigation, and if they're well, while they might, and this is obviously allegedly, be the instigators of some of this false accounting. The other clubs have accepted their role as the sort of the recipient in any of that paperwork that does the false accounting. And there's a there's there's well, there's I was gonna say there's a small part of me, but there's a there's 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 a there's an ever growing part of me that thinks they'll just go, this really needs to be a financial authorities matter and the sporting sanctions, we just can't pass them across all of these people, you know, teams involved and and Juve suddenly they'll be sat uh, you know, comfortably in those Champions League places, or at least certainly com- more comfortable than they are now. Yeah, it, it is something that seems to almost week on week more layers of it that aren't even related to Juve appear. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to speculate over whether Juve's ban should be or shouldn't be upheld. I don't have access to all the facts and everything. Um, no one does apart from the people who are actually dealing with the paperwork. But um, if, if they if they uphold the penalty, because it, it, it's only going to be upheld or got rid of there's no there's no reducing of the penalty it's not going to be dropped to seven points or five points or anything it's just you know they 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 lose the points or they don't um if if they if they uphold it and a lot of clubs have been doing very similar stuff you know to whatever degree then then they've set a precedent haven't they that 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 points penalties have to be handed out so like you say i I can see the logic in what you mean in if, if i understood you right which is don't do the points and pass it on <laughs> essentially yeah. so that everyone gets big fines. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Make it a financial penalty. 
because this is, these are financial sort of you know issue issues um discrepancies <laughs> i don't know what word term i want to use but yeah it does feel like that because next year you could find yourself in a scenario that oh this year's passed and by the time Roma and Lazio investigations are completed they get sort of 15 points each off of next year's total and it allows you know Juve maybe even to win the league because everybody else gets punished <laughs> it just it just feels a bit bizarre if we keep going down the the sporting points penalty because uh, Napoli's obviously that 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 deal for Ozzyman is under mm. investigation as well um, which does sound like a very odd one when you read into it. Um, there is something on on the website about that, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's mainly why I want to talk about Juve, because it's going to be a big week. There's, there's going to be a sudden point during Wednesday where everyone's Twitter feed suddenly goes mental, and it'll be because the verdict has happened, and there's going to be loads of unhappy people, regardless of which direction it goes in. <laughs> and there's going to be loads of people saying daft stuff, and then daft people are going to say more daft stuff back at them, and it's going to be really entertaining. And I advise you to not say any daft stuff; you just read it. It'll just be interesting. <laughs> um, right, teams that have won: Lazio. They won three 0 away at Spezia, which is. Uh, obviously, you know, Spezia are down the bottom. They're, they're one of the teams that could feasibly get dragged into the relegation zone if, if Verona were to start picking up more points, or even at this stage, Cremonese, they're up to 19 points now. Um, Spezia are on 26, and they are 17th. Verona are on 23. So that, that isn't a done deal by any stretch of the imagination as to the, the final three. Um but yeah, Lazio won three 0 which is impressive. Um, Chiro Mobile scored a penalty in that game, and this was on the Friday night. On Sunday morning, um, it was quite a horrible news story. Basically, he was driving in Rome with his daughters in the car, and they got hit by a tram, which reportedly ran a red light, um, and everyone had to go to hospital. Everyone's fine in the sense of no one's got like life-threatening injuries or anything like that um but the the pictures of the car the, the severity of the crash like this this would be a new story regardless of it being Lazio's best player in the in the car maybe maybe not one that reaches um you know all of the rest of Europe or whatever but certainly within Italy it'd be a story that a car had been hit to this extent by a tram um in terms, obviously, like I say, the most important thing is that they're all fine in a big picture sense. There's going to be injuries and stuff, and everyone had to go to hospital. But from a football perspective, um, Lazio said the medical staff of Lazio announces that today, following a road accident, um, Chiro Mobile reported a sprain trauma of the spine and the compound fracture of the XI right rib. I, I said to you off air that I don't know what the XI bit means there. I think it's a Roman numeral, <laughs> but either way, it's a rib injury and a spine injury, um, which is worrying for them in terms of his fitness for the rest of the season, because that doesn't sound a particularly quick fix. It remains to be seen. It's a really horrible incident. Um, how, yeah, let's say I've been really good for basically the whole season, but particularly the last few weeks, they've really sort of set themselves slightly aside in the in the top four race. It, you know, they, they, they look very healthy to get second place. Um, Vito, if, if Immobile is out for the rest of it, have they, have they shown already that they can deal with it? Is, it? is it actually not as big a deal as we might initially think? And I think this is a, <clears throat> excuse me, an issue that... Uh, uh, Lazio can overcome because of, as I pointed out earlier, they're out of Europe, so they can just focus on Serie A and there won't be extra games to worry about. Not only that, Immobile has not had his best season statistically. I think the goal against Spezia was his 10th for the Serie A campaign and Sari has shown that he's happy to places trust in Felipe Anderson to play in that false nine role. So more than likely, we'll see for the remainder of the season, Pedro on the right wing, Felipe Anderson going down the middle, and then Zakanya can weave his magic on the left wing. 
Yeah, it, it does seem that there, there are players in the squad um, that are able to pick up the baton when, when Immobile is not there. Obviously, it's not something they'd want to do for an entire season. But, um, you know, like I was saying at the table before, they're, they're, they're second on 61 points. They, they've got a five-point lead over Roma in third now, which is really impressive given how tight everything looked just a matter of a few weeks ago. They have genuinely consolidated themselves. Um I should just say, I think from what I can gather, the crash was Saturday night rather than Sunday morning. There, there seems to be differing reports on that, but either way, it was at some point over the, the weekend. Um, no, I think it was the morning. Sorry, I'm <laughs> just trying to gather the info while I'm reading it. Um, yeah, it was Sunday morning. Um, Roma, though, have just played. They beat Udinese 3-0. I've got to say, I didn't expect this because, number one, you know, Roma just don't score many goals this season. That's just a fact. Um, but also, they came into this one without without Dybala at all, and Abraham was on the bench. But it was a bit of a surprise that he was even on the bench. Um, and obviously, they've just lost away at Feyenoord in midweek. Um, Udinese are a decent team as well. They're you know rightfully in the top half of the table. Uh, no, they're not. They're slightly out of the top half. But they, you know, they're in that little batch of teams that are trying to finish eighth, ninth. Um, but Roma did a pretty decent job on them, really. Um, they took the lead after a bit of a bit of a drama. Lucky they, penalty. They, yeah, I, I saw that you were unhappy with the uh, with the penalty. It was um, Roberto Pereira who got done for a handball. Now, what was so? So your argument, Kev, was that. The the ball wasn't it was going out essentially it it was completely like irrelevant. Partly, he's his his arms are not in an unnatural position. It's down by his side. Um, it's a powerful header. It hits him from maybe like four yards away. He hasn't got much time to react, but he hasn't moved his hand towards the ball, and it's going wide. I think if if you move Pereira a couple of so, you know, a couple of yards, and there's a an, an empty goal behind him then I think in that scenario, you award a penalty and you don't book the player because they've made no, you know, they've showed no intent to try and stop the ball going to the net, but they have denied a goal-scoring opportunity. Whereas if the ball's just going out of play and it's the ones that, it, it, to be honest, the, the one later that um, Rui Patricio saved from Pereira, where Mancini was sort of legitimately going to block the ball and he had his hand down by his side, it was a natural position, but it was going past him and on target, probably around the goalkeeper. So again, that is one where I'd give the penalty because you're, you're stopping the ball travelling in a direction where it could result in a goal. But actually, they've made no intent because you know, you've got to feel for these players that then get booked on top of it because they've done nothing wrong. It's, 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 it's how they're interpreting that rule as well, I think, because if, if, if referees stopped booking players in those scenarios and they were giving penalties for balls that were, that were going on target... No one would complain, but it's almost like the referees feel that they have to give a booking on top of the penalty. But when it's going wide, I could see why the Udinese um, players were so sort of incensed with the fact that Pereira was so close to the ball and it shouldn't matter, but it's one of those where it's nil-nil at that point. And it it kind of felt like if they got to half-time at nil-nil, Udinese might have shown a little bit more attacking intent than they than they than they had up until that point. It might have been might have been a strategy on their part to sort of try and keep it what's the word keep it tight um, for the first for, for the first forty five. Um, but yeah, I think it, it it it's it's not a great rule, um, even if it is um, you know correct in the the laws. Yeah, I think the the handballs have gotten silly um, this season, but. I mean, Roma got one against final, which was daft. It shouldn't have been a penalty, the one that um, the Pellegrini missed. With with this Pereira on there, what I would say is, in terms of the whole on-target, off-target thing, I don't know if that would work in the sense that players don't always know where they are or what direction the ball's going. Pereira could feasibly think that he's further towards the goal there than he is, you know, in the context of... And if he makes it... In, but then if he makes a move to go to the ball, and, it, you know, and you've shown that he's put his hand out, but there was no there was no indication that his, his arm, his shoulder, any part of his body had moved for that to sort of flick up. Because it hits the ground and then bounces up almost against his hand. You know, whereas I can understand that 
a player might like lots of goalkeepers do over time. They they save the shot that they think's on target, and it's not. And that, I'm fine with that being a penalty. But these ones where it sort of strikes them from close range, obviously you know determine close range however you like. But it's yeah, there was there was no intent there, and I think it. It can ruin a, a tight game. I think the way they played overall, Rome were going to get the points anyway, but there you go. Yeah, uh, I, did, I didn't think it was that harsh of a call, that one. I think the yellow card, like I say, that was just mm. utterly stupid. Must remember, um, they missed it as well anyway. It was yeah, actually the right, rebound was, they scored. but uh, Yeah, Eduardo Bove scored the rebound, which was very nicely taken as well. Um, Pellegrini got the second, which incidentally, but Andrea Bellotti has obviously had a very tough season. Um, he set this one up very nicely. Um, Kev wants to speak, everyone. Yeah, no, just something, <laughs> something on that. Yeah, you know, for those that are watching the the UK broadcast, and it was Don Hutchinson. I just call him out. It, um, yeah, <laughs> See, he said that was. We've got uh, him as a guest next week. Have you? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll call him out to his face. But uh, you know, he, he he said that Pellegrini. Like, that was his third goal this season. The first from open play. And he's like, he should be getting, you know, he's, he's, he's at his prime now, he's 26. He should be getting 15 goals a season. What a ridiculous, yeah, exactly. What a ridiculous <laughs> call. What an absolutely ridiculous. I looked at the numbers and, and the first midfielder, the highest scoring midfielder, because nobody's, nobody's qualifying Berardi as a midfielder, are they, in this instance? No, but no, it's four. The highest scoring midfielder in Serie A last year was Antonin Barak with 11 goals. <laughs> You know, you and had I, to get I, that in, didn't you? I, well, I, well, once I saw it, I really did have to get it in. But, but, the same Antonin Barrett that was in Kev's team of the year. For anyone <laughs> well, there you go. That's why he was there, everybody. But, but, but that 15 number is, you know, there, like, I, I then looked at Kevin De Bruyne and he's only, he's only registered 15 or more goals once in his career since moving to Wolfsburg. Well, actually once in his career because he didn't, certainly didn't score him before going to Wolfsburg. And I just thought, what a stupid thing to sort of try and sort of... <laughs> Say that Pellegrini needs to do better at getting to 15 goals a season. Um, yeah, because the sentiment is right, isn't it, that he should score more, but that, that's a mad figure, yeah. Um, Vito. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for a player like Lorenzo Pellegrini and in a Jose Mourinho team, no less, 15 goals is a bit unrealistic. And if we're talking Serie A, if I'm just thinking of the names, probably the only midfielder I can really think of that would have racked those numbers would be the German great Lothar Matthias. And we're talking 30 <laughs> years ago. And we're talking about one of the greatest players of all time. Lorenzo Pellegrini's not of Lothar Matthias's standard by any stretch of the imagination. So this Don Hutchinson can dream on. Don, it's Don, also uh, just not his job. Yeah, well, and Don Lev, Don Lev certainly never got 15 goals in a season, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let's not be horrible. Yeah. Um, but who did score is Tammy Abraham with a very good header, which is important because yeah, we have said this maybe two or three times this season of oh, this might be the goal where he gets good again, sort of thing. But he, you know, he really needed that goal, and you could tell by the way he celebrated. And he, he came on in this game. Theoretically, he should be fit enough to start on Thursday against Feyenoord. You'd think, providing nothing else bad happens to him in the week. Um, so that bodes well for Roma. That was a very good um, evening at the office for them. Quickly flick around a few other games. Vito, do you want to give a word to Lecce one, Samp one? That's that's a pretty decent point, but also you don't really need one point at this stage. No, Samp definitely need the wins. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, Samp were probably a bit lucky to hold on to the point because Lecce had so many more shots, especially in the first half. I think more than anything, just the the shots weren't just accurate enough. But uh, Lecce, if they had some better strikers, probably would have won by a bit more. That being said, I know Hesse's goal was a lovely goal. Just the give and go and then to chip it over Falcone, that was lovely highlight. But yeah, I mean, it still feels like for Samp, regardless with a draw, it's still two points lost. Samp's goal of the goal. season, what? <laughs> Oh, from a sump perspective, it's up there. I still like Gabbiadini's second goal against Verona. You've uh, got to factor in from a survival perspective the fact that Cremonese won isn't helpful either. If, if there was any lingering hope for sump, you don't need Cremonese to start winning games, um, especially not with Cyril Desta scoring, who Vito hates. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to prove me wrong. Yeah, he's, he's, he's picking up towards the end of the season. 
Um, I say other games. We we did a pretty good job of darting around nearly all of them. Um, Torino Salernitana. I feel like I heard you, Kev, say off air that you saw some of this. Yeah, I did um, watch it. Um, not a lot happened. I was going to say say some things. There are a few there. Well, I think there are a few teams on the on the beach now, aren't they? I think mean, Torino actually. I expected them to be a bit stronger, and they they it felt like they let themselves down until they got the the goal on sixty minutes to equalise through Sanabria. Um, and then they sort of pushed, but it was all a bit too little, too late. Um, but yeah, no, it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't the best game of football. No, um, the match day is rounded off with Fiorentina versus Atalanta on Monday night, which could be a pretty good watch. Fiorentina are in great form. Atalanta are in sort of steady, if not you know, not not particularly great form, um, but they have good players and are therefore worth watching. Um, throughout the week, if you go to patreon.com forward slash total Italian football, nearly said forward to Italian football, um, we will have the Serie A for Mainlay podcast with me and Connor. Um, there were some quite big results, particularly towards the bottom this weekend. Um, there will also be a Euro show with the Champions League games that are happening. Um, and that will all be obviously all on the website, various match reports, etc on totalhyphenitalianfootball.com there will also be later in the week the preview show for the next set of Serie A fixtures and as I said at the start of the show we are in the running now so even if there wasn't really any thrilling games in, in the ones that we've just talked about every game matters in some sort of way so that's patreon.com forward slash totalhyphenitalianfootball it's three different tiers you're going to get loads of stuff you, you can have I think all of what I just said, or possibly at least some of it, for just two euro a month, which is very little for what you get in return. Because I think we can all agree it's probably the best content that anyone does out there ever, isn't it? Absolutely. More stuff, certainly. Connor's not here to shout me down on that. <laughs> I'll take, I thought I'd take an opportunity. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening. Say goodbye, Vita. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Kevin. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.